behind every show are two key artists, the author and the director. Hello, I'm Howard Sherman, Executive Director of the American Theatre Wing, and joining me today to discuss that relationship, as well as their art and their careers, are directors Stafford Arima, Ann Kaufman, Rebecca Tashman, and Henry Wishkamper. Welcome to you all. I just want to start off by establishing a little common ground. I'm wondering if you could each tell me, in turn, what your first professional directing job was and how you got it. Stafford, I'll start with you. In Toronto, uh, where I'm from, I directed Christopher Hampton's play uh, Total Eclipse, and it was in 1992, and I was, uh, I was still I at university, at, at uh, York University, and I decided to produce uh, a show and, and formed a little company in Toronto and was wildly interested in, in Hampton's work and Total Eclipse uh, really kind of caught my attention. So for kind of my final project uh, of, of, of the year, I produced and directed. And so that was really my first foray into directing professionally. We had you know, a great group of people and uh, did it in a really like in a small theater uh, in Toronto. It was actually a, a, a converted garage space. Uh, and it was kind of an environmental piece, and uh, so that was my that was my kind of entrance way into the world of directing. But you made your own opportunity. It wasn't a case of mm -hmm. getting hired. Yeah, I I I thought it was really important to be able to create your your experiences versus uh, just kind of sit there and wait for someone to say, "Hey, we'd love for you to direct this piece or direct that piece." So. It, it was, I guess, an entrepreneurial spirit that I just was I innate in me, and I thought, well, if no one's going to ask me to do it, then let's just just do it yourself. Hmm. I think the first real job was out of grad school. Um, I was, I was, uh, Liz Diamond was my teacher. This and is at Yale. At Yale, and she was um, supposed to be directing uh, Anna Devere Smith's play Piano, hmm. and. <laughs> First oh job, um, and, <laughs> and she um, there was I can't remember what happened to Liz, but she couldn't do it. And Anna had this thing called the Institute for the Arts and Civic Dialogue at Harvard. So she it, so Anna interviewed me to replace Liz to direct something in the institute, and um, and I remember in that interview that I was dumbfounded at how much I revealed about myself, which just goes to the brilliance of Anna Devere Smith's interview technique. <laughs> I mean, really, I, was, I walked out and I was like, why in the world <laughs> did I tell her about that like existential pain of mine? <laughs> you know? And then, um, so she asked, me to do, she asked me to do her play called Piano. Um, and that was, you know, intense first gig. Was she I in was it? And she was in it? And she, was she wasn't, she wasn't oh, in it. Oh, okay. Um, Gloria Foster, <coughs> who's like, you know, the grandmother of black American theater, was, was in it. And I was this little Jewish girl in the middle of them going, I hope it's okay. <laughs> but it was, a, you know, it was a huge gift to get to do that. And also to be part of that institute as a beginning step, which was really about how do you create art that inspires dialogue, not just applause. Hmm. My first real job as a professional director was with King Company. Uh, in 2004, I did a short uh, play by Thornton Wilder called Pullman Car Hiawatha. You did that? Yeah, I did. I didn't realize you did that. And we did it down at the Connolly, which is a beautiful theater on uh, East 4th Street between B and C. 
uh, and it was a 24-page play with a cast of 28. Wow. Uh, and it's an amazing, amazing piece, sort of a draft of our town. Um, but I had been involved with Keen for many years. I had assisted Carl Forsman on the first Keen Company production and had sort of been working for the theater in many capacities when he gave me a show to direct. I suppose my, my first professional um, gig was at uh, a showcase at Classic Stage Company. I was uh, the resident assistant director for David S. Bjornsson for a couple of years in the early 90s. And, um, and somewhere early in our conversations, he had sort of said, well, you know, I, w I didn't get paid to be the resident assistant director. I was a house manager there. That's how I got paid, um, and just little. So, you know, in the initial sort of conversations with David about things, he said, you know, well, maybe, you know, down the line, we'll get, we'll, I'll let you have the space and you can, um, uh, you can do a showcase of something, you know. And so I sort of, every once in a while, said, David, what about that showcase that, you know, you promised me, you know, <laughs> promised, which I think was pushing the, the, the term a bit that he, he had used. And finally, um, I sort of, uh, he, he sort of, uh, Relented, and uh, I did three three short plays out of *Fear and Misery of the Third Reich*, um, uh, Brecht's *Fear and Misery of the Third Reich*. Uh, and what was great about that experience is, um, having assisted on a bunch of shows at CSC, I had befriended a bunch of actors who were in the main stage shows. So I sort of um, exploited those relationships, and also with the designers. So I had a great wow. cast um, and great designers uh, for this um, this this piece and they got paid, so mm. I, I consider that professional, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. so. Two of you have already used the words assisting, associate, et, et cetera, in talking about coming up in your career. Have you all had the experience of being an assistant, an associate, whatever the term is, with other directors? How, how does that experience inform you and how does it help you get work or not as you mm -hmm. go forward? Mm, Rebecca, now you, you went right out of school and, and got a job. Yeah, you but I also, I, well, I had been assisting a lot before I went to grad school and I assisted, and I was also temping a lot before I went to grad school and I swore to myself no matter what after grad school I will not temp or do anything other than at least work in the theater to make a living. So somehow I sort of pledged to myself I would do that, and part of that was assisting. And, um, you know, it was each, it, it, I did a lot of it, and it was always very different depending on who the director was that I was assisting. I mean, I, um, the best experience I had probably was assisting Michael Mayer on Thoroughly Modern Millie, mm. where <laughs> um, I couldn't do the show in New York, um, but I did do it in La Jolla, and I, the, my one favorite story about that was we would, I was swimming in the mornings, and Michael found out I was swimming, so he wanted to join me swimming. And I was saying, as long as I could do the crawl, is it okay? I just I can't talk while I swim. And he kept saying, no, let's brainstorm while we breaststroke. Let's <laughs> brainstorm while we breaststroke. <laughs> no, that was, it was just, oops, sorry. It was a, um, it was a uh, ex good example of how collaborative he was and how inviting he was. So that was a uniquely wonderful experience to really get inside the artistic process. I, I was very fortunate when living up in Toronto, there was a kind of uh, a huge burst of, uh, of new musicals that, that came up there. And uh, I was a young director, uh, student of, of, of life, and 
there was a production of Showboat that was uh, um, coming to Toronto. This is in the live end era. This was the Garth live end era with Garth Drabinsky as the producer, and, and uh, I was really fortunate to assist Hal Prince on that production, and, and it, it opened up uh, an immense amount of, of possibility just in... I remember w watching Hal work and thinking to myself, I don't think I can do this. Because I thought to myself, you know, this to to kind of be that that kind of presence in a room mm -hmm. with that type of uh, knowledge and experience, uh, and at that point it was a cast of like you know sixty eight people on stage, and and how just kind of understanding how to kind of move the people and to stage it and working in great collaboration with Susan Stroman, I, I thought to myself, I don't know if I can if I can do this. And then after that experience, I got a chance to assist uh, Mike Ockrent, who directed the original production of Crazy For You. Mm -hmm. And Crazy For You was, was uh, they had a c Canadian production. And so uh, Susan, uh, who obviously I'd worked with on, on Showboat, said, Mike is coming into town. It would be, I think it'd be wonderful for you to have a chance to work with him. And, and of course, um, Mike brought a, a very different approach to uh, kind of manning a room and, ex and the experience of him directing, I thought, oh, well, this, this is a different kind of being and a different energy. Maybe I can find my place that doesn't have to be the Hell Prince way or the Mike Ockrent way uh, or, or anyone else's way. So uh, assisting was a really important ingredient, and I, I've always said to some of the assistants that have worked with me, I've said, uh, you know, I assisted in, in many ways for a decade of my career for 10 years, mm -hmm. whether it was an assistant to the director, whether it was a personal assistant, whether it was a resident director or an associate director, all those kind of, you know, strange and fancy titles. 10 years of my life was about assisting, and it was uh, 10 years that I would never, ever give up because it, it taught me so much about the industry, about the business, and about individual style and how that style it works for that director and maybe not for another director, so it's... I, I loved that time and that period of my life. Uh, I did a lot of assisting uh, at Manhattan Theatre Club, and they would put me forward with a group of people whenever someone was in from out of town mm. and didn't have an assistant. And uh, and it was it was an amazing experience. I didn't go to grad school, so that was really the bulk mm. uh, of my training. And I assisted really, really varied people. I assisted Darko Treshnik. I assisted. Um, Anna Shapiro, I assisted Nikki Martin and, and Bob Falls, and uh, got to assist on some really truly amazing productions, and uh, also some shows that uh, that didn't do so well. Um, mm -hmm. Both of which were uh, amazing experiences, and that I find myself calling on pretty much every show that I work on. Um, and uh, I got really, really lucky. Uh, sort of towards the end of, of my decade of assisting, I assisted Bob Falls on Shining City, um, and uh, which was an amazing production. And very early on, Bob said to me, I don't know why he said it, he said, I don't want you taking my notes. You sit next to me, you take your notes, mm -hmm. give them to me at the end of the day, and I'll do whatever I want to with them. Uh, and. Uh, and sometimes he used them and sometimes he didn't, but we had a conversation every day through the whole wow. process and uh, I ended up making a, a really powerful, um, you know, he's been my mentor ever since, mm -hmm. I, and uh, he ended up giving me my, my first real job that sort of allowed me in 2008 to stop assisting and 
and start doing my own work. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Similar to you, I, I, I sort of, I sort of, what I, the, 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 the most valuable thing that I got from assisting was different personalities and how you, and the relationships that people forge in the room with the actors. Um, and uh, that's something that has, as, as, you know, has me in good stead, I think really taught me um, a lot. But what I do say to young directors is, um, you can really get stuck in the assistant mm -hmm. in the yes. assistant role, yes. yeah. and I really felt it. I remember thinking when I went to away to grad school, um, I, I said, "I when I come back, I have to come back as a director." Mm -hmm. You know, because everyone yeah. knew me in the field. <coughs> everyone and I had a lot of great relationships in the city um, before I went to grad school, and I just thought, you know, I cannot be seen as the spunky yeah. you know assistant anymore and I wasn't doing Broadway so I wasn't it wasn't as if you know I was taking shows around the country and then you know because a lot of people get their start that way uh -huh. where right. they actually are you know I didn't it, it was none of that It was all nonprofit you know smaller theaters um, so I, I and I, I distinctly remember coming back and thinking I feel like when you're you know when your computer sort of falls asleep it doesn't f fully go to black it kind of goes gray right you know I felt like that when I returned from grad school and that I needed to you know activate the because everyone sort of knew me as the assistant yeah. but I needed yeah. to sort of activate that and get me out there as a director director it's true and if I think if you get if you do too much of it you can also get resentful of the position I mean, or at least I've sometimes felt that even just, you know, with really wonderful assistants that I've had that I want to say, like, go, you need to go direct yeah. now because you're, I can feel it. You can right. feel oh, the kind yeah. of, like, I need to be, I need to do this myself. But how you get that first gig, how you make that transition is a kind of a baffling, you know, how to, how to make that happen for yourself. So I understand why, how we all end up sometimes yeah. assisting, maybe a little bit too long even. Well, it's also, because uh, I resident directed for a number of years, and so... Which means what? A resident director is someone who maintains the artistic integrity of the show, so... Oh, I, I didn't realize that. I, okay. would, I would be there uh, on some productions every night, and I'd be responsible for all of the understudies. I'd be responsible for, uh, you know, recasting. If there was a tour that was going out of a specific production, then it, sometimes I would be the person to kind of mount the production, and the original director would kind of top and tail. Mm -hmm. So as a resident director, you know, you're, you're paid, um, at least I was paid a weekly salary, and, you know, a, a decent salary for a young person in New York City who you know, didn't have that kind of, you know, uh, you know, um, um, that paycheck that was yeah. coming in every single week. So, yeah. w you know, doing that, you kind of, and you get to work on big splashy productions and you get to, you know, kind of expose your craft in a way that allows you to not redirect the show because the, the responsibility really is to, to maintain the original director's vision. But so it was, it was a great experience. And then I, like you had said, I had to make the decision to stop mm -hmm. it, and literally for one full year, I, I, I didn't work That's because the team. calls kept coming in. Other producers right. would say, we heard you maintain this very well, we'd like you to do this, and I had to say, no, 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 no. And then I came back and directed, you know, a, a something, at, you know, Summerstock production of, of Paint Your Wagon in, in California, and that was really kind of my re-entrance mm -hmm. into mm -hmm. the field, even though I had I was very fortunate to work on some of these large productions. I had to come back and right. just have people kind of go, oh, you know, they wouldn't ask me, oh, are you still maintaining this or how's this director or how's that right, director? Right. So it's it's a tough 
It's hard though because you know living in New York City, you want to be able to support yourself, be able to pay rent, not to worry about when you know how am I going to feed myself, when's the next pay paycheck, do I have to temp? So these resident director positions are really wonderful. So so now making the jump to you as directors, uh, a comment, a couple of comments were made about you know what what it's like in the room and how you manage the room as a director. Are the people that I'm sitting here with today the same people I would meet on the first day of rehearsal? Or do you have to adopt a different style, mm -hmm. a different tone when you go into that room? You know, that's such an interesting question because that's evolved for me. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know how you feel about this, mm -hmm. Rebecca, but um, for a long time, I, I felt like I needed to de-sex myself. Hmm. Um, I had, you know, I wore pants, mm -hmm. I was very, um, you know, I, I didn't sort of wear a tie and a bowler hat or whatever, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I, I, I really felt that I that needed to sort of, that would have made a statement, yeah, I know, I probably would have been, got, got hired more, but um, uh, I really felt like I needed to be, I needed to sort of hide myself a little bit, um, mm. uh, you know, it, it, when I was first starting out and be the smartest one in the room and, um, and sort of have no one think of me as anything but sort of a, a voice of authority in the room. And that's not to say that I was ever a dictator or anything like that. Um, what was interesting, so, so that has actually evolved. And what's interesting about that approach to me too is I realized um, that that kind of approach actually made itself, um, made its way into the work. So I, deep, so I was not quite as personal in the work um, either. So. Mm. Um, but but I sort of evolved out of that, evolved really so much to the other side that I'm, I sort of walk into the first day of rehearsal a little bit um, like an idiot, you know, that I'm I'm just I'm, I'm a minute ahead of the other actors in the room, and I let that sort of be mm -hmm. known, you know, um, that you know so that I can so that we can all sort of sort of. Uh, be a mess together for a while. I mean, I have good leadership skills in terms of like knowing how long we can spend on a certain thing, you know. But I, I think it's really important to be who I am um, mm. going into the room now. I mean, it completely affects. For me, it completely affects um, the way that the the product actually, mm. and the way that I interface with the process and the actors um, after the first day of rehearsal. Sure. So, so now, yes, I am very much um, this goofy, inarticulate person that you see before you <laughs> uh, on the first day of rehearsal. No, I totally relate. I mean, I don't know that, it, I think I was, at, in the beginning of directing more, coming from like tension and fear. Mm -hmm. and, oh, for sure. And there was something about being a woman, and especially a really young woman, that was, it was just like, there was, I had a lot to prove, and a lot to kind of assert in order to feel like I had control of the room. and. That is, it feels like it's like a burning ember. You know, it's kind of mm. gone. I mean, thankfully, recently I remounted. I, I did Twelfth Night at the Shakespeare Theater in D.C. and then we moved it to the McCarter and I we re we had about two weeks to remount it, and I was so relaxed. It was so fun. I knew it was. I knew it would work. I knew how to do it, and we got so much done so quickly in such a relaxed, open, really playful kind of laughter-filled environment. I mean, it's a comedy, so it was appropriate, but um, it was a big lesson for me about, you know, this kind of tension around, we have to get it done, we have to move, 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 you know, that, that if you 
just sort of trusting the, a process mm -hmm. and a very collaborative, kind of open-minded um, flow of ideas and conversation. And sometimes that conversation is about, oh, this reminds me of you know a moment when blah, 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 and making space for that, for just even mm -hmm. people really intimately connecting with each other. So I've, it's been a definitely an evolution. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Henry, what about you? Yeah, I, I feel really similarly. I, I, I like what you said about sort of beginning with, uh, you know, uh, tension and fear. It <laughs> was definitely uh, my first couple of first days in the rehearsal room. And uh, I used to go running before first rehearsal and practice my speech right. uh, <laughs> until I had it learn for word and deliver it exactly right. that way. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, my first my first real job where I felt like, you know, this was the beginning of a new chapter was, was for Bob. And, and so I felt like, you know, I had assisted him and I had to sort of step up to the plate. And there was, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, tension. And, uh, and now I, I realize that the first day isn't about me. Um, right. And mm -hmm. uh, the first, you know, and that everybody is coming into this yeah. stressful environment right. and uh, that coming in relaxed and, and being happy to see the actors who you've been thinking about for weeks and uh, getting to see the designers who you've had a whole process with and um, uh, and just sort of being present is much more important than you know delivering some sort of hyper articulate speech yeah right. um, it's interesting you say that you know everyone I always actually think that we all come into the room uh, all petrified mm -hmm. the actors the writers the designers who are having to put you know mm -hmm. bring out their little set and you know uh, and, and so when I understood the fact that we're actually all insecure mm -hmm. we're all filled with doubt we're, we're all kind of wondering is this possible I don't know what to say do I know you know that it kind of puts us all into one zone mm -hmm. and and I think that inevitably uh, I've learned over the years that it's it's more important just to kind of be one who you are and number two to not be afraid for many years I was always frightened to say I don't know yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. and and when I when I finally said that one day you know I uh, you know an actor will come and ask a question um, and rather than one making something up that you know right. completely is ridiculous <laughs> is, is to or to kind of tap yeah. dance around right. something right. and that might happen if it's something you know about an emotional beat but if it's something very specific what is this in reference to and I actually don't know right. or I haven't done that research I, I now just say I don't know but we'll find out and we'll get yeah. back to you and there's a kind of joy in being able to just say that and and I don't think and if the actor judges me for that then the actor will judge me for but that they but it doesn't don't. No. they don't no. because and I feel like as being young like I feel like all of my anyone who's sort of a mentor to you I mean in, in my past certainly have say you know says it's okay not to know it's mm -hmm. okay not to know mm -hmm. but I think that's also a real I mean you can know that intellectually as a young director but I really think there's nothing like experience and working on you know, 20 plays before you actually can say, I don't know, I mm -hmm. don't know with confidence. Right. Mm -hmm. And I've been, I've been tracking that. I actually really, really am so aware of, I'm, I'm constantly engaged with my, the, the trajectory of, you know, what that first day of rehearsals like, you know, was like 10 years ago and what it is now. But I definitely feel like um, I have to have the stuff that I have under my belt, under my belt to be able to say, I don't know with confidence. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. You know? But let me ask, add another element to this which is we've been talking about you as directors almost you know isolated and we brought in the actors outside of when you do Shakespeare for example or a classic 
there are authors. You've all worked on new pieces. The authors are available to you. When do you say, let me talk to the author? Do you let the author talk to the actors? What's, what's that dynamic? For me, I mean, I'm, I feel like they have so much information in their marrow about the play. And I've never, I don't really, I know that I hear from writers that they sometimes feel in a room that they shouldn't speak. I really love the writer to I speak. Agree. Mm -hmm. Even just learning from the rhythms of how they speak. So, and, and really directly speaking to the actors, I feel like there's like a f something formal and fake when it has to kind of always right. wind through me. I do, you know, there is a certain point at which you, I think, like you need to be able to make big, huge, colossal mistakes that might just petrify a writer to be in the room for. Mm -hmm. And that's a period where it can be really useful to have somebody, you know, take care of themselves and go away. Right, right. But other than that, you know, I find the more open the collaboration, the more effective it is, and that the actors love to get direct information and insight from the writers. So that's my experience. I think that's absolutely right. I agree completely. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And it is something fake. You do feel a little, I feel like a puppet sometimes if someone whispers right, in my yes. ear and, I'm, and I literally am right. opening my mouth and <laughs> making these sounds. Exactly what they're and saying. I have no, I have right. no sort of, you know, I have nothing behind it because I actually don't understand sometimes what they're, you know, what right. they're saying. So right. it's better if we, you know, if we all sort of have it, have it out there. And the not understanding is again another element of saying I don't know. And if I don't know what perhaps the writers true intent was on this line or, or this phrasing, why not just turn to someone and say, help us out here? And, and, and that, I think, opens up a kind of a, a dialogue and a kind of sense of collaboration that is, I think, crucial to this art form that we, we work in. And obviously, if the author is alive, how many you know, plays or musicals do we work on that that person isn't there? We can't go to Jerome yeah. Kern and ask him what did you mean by that? And so I think it's if they're alive and well and present, <laughs> you know, more the merrier be in that room. And yes, I think you're right. If there's moments where we want, we want just some privacy, mm -hmm. we want to just explore something in a scene or in a, in a beat and not have the author maybe kind of like scratching their eyes out because we've tried something, right. you know, but, you know, then bring them in a day later. And, and so I, I'm, I love it as well. The only time where I've seen like it can get funky is if actors start to have needs from the writer that mm -hmm. they can't supply, you yes. know, and that they want like an emotional justification or a kind of a realist explanation for a very surreal play, say, you know, why is there, why, why, what is the, what is the function of the chorus, you know, somebody will ask. Sarah, who I just Sarah Rule, who I just did Orlando with, and she was like, "Cause it's a chorus, <laughs> you know." Right, and right. don't don't I don't want to have to give a kind of, you know, realistic justification for something that really doesn't need it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's sometimes I find myself saying like, "Let's just us talk about that and find a way, a choice right. that we can make, but not push the writer to kind of articulate something that feels inarticulable for them and right. shouldn't need to be for right. them. I think right. that's a really, yeah, I think that's really, that's really right. It also just saves time. I mean, just as in terms yeah. of efficiency, if you let the writer talk, you know, you don't have to sort of, I had this great experience this summer uh, at Williamstown. I did uh, Six Degrees of Separation and John Guare was actually involved, you know, and he came to the first day of rehearsal and he said, um, he said, darling, I'm just going to sit right behind. 
<laughs> I was like, okay. You know, and we started to read through, and an actor had a question and looked at me, and John, you know, he gets up. He doesn't want to be seen, but he gets up and he walks, and he sort of paces around the room and has this amazing, sort of incredibly articulate, right. deeply profound response to this question that this actor had. Um, and, you know, we were all sort of at his feet, yeah. like children, you know. And after that, and he did that on several occasions in that first um, in that first rehearsal. And afterwards, some of the actors came up to me and said, "Oh, um, I hope you didn't feel like you were stepping on your toes." Mm -hmm. And I said, "Are you kidding? You know who? Uh, why would? Yeah, why would? That's yeah. It's like doing. It's it's it's. It, you don't have to like look it up on. You know, <laughs> you don't have to like go to the library. You know, he's resource. He, he, and he's not yeah. only he actually infused. I mean, what you're talking about the rhythms of, of yeah. the way that a, a playwright talks. He infused the play with a kind of passion. Yeah. You understand what the sort of is of the play when your playwright can can talk. And mm -hmm. I was really flabbergasted that the actors actually thought that he was somehow or worried for me that usurpation of my power. Right. It's a completely different matter. It's a and it's a collaborative art form. I think that's that's something that people need to really remember. So let's keep working backwards. Is on a new show, and I mean a brand new show, how do you figure out if an author is someone you're going to be comfortable working with? You may like the play, but do you, do you have to have a conversation to understand if this is someone you can really collaborate with? Because ultimately, you can have such a role in the shape of the play itself. Henry, I'll start with you. Well, uh, on some level, I think you can't know what it's like to work with someone until mm -hmm. you work with them once. And, you know, I, I sort of feel like any relationship with anyone, whether it's a writer or a director, uh, uh, a designer or an actor, is sort of like a first pancake. And, you know, you're, <laughs> you, uh, uh, you know, and you're just sort of figuring it out. And you're going to make right. mistakes. First pancake. Uh, um, you know, <laughs> I, I, my feeling, you know, usually, uh, I haven't done that many new plays with, with writers who are still working on the plays. That's a pretty new experience for me. And, and the ones that I have done, um, I hadn't known the writer and, and got the job through an interview after I had read the play. Uh, and so there was an element of faith that there was something about our conversation that had been enough of a connection that they had chosen me um, that sort of led into this you know delicate beginning relationship. But um, you know, I, I guess I, I guess I find that um, you know my sort of style is to adjust the way that I speak to the to way that people that I hear. I don't have a a really rigid vocabulary that I use, um, and so whether it's a writer or an actor or a designer, I, I try and I try and alter the way I'm speaking to, to what it is that I'm hearing from them. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, usually, I mean, usually I know before I begin what it is that I think is the major agenda for the writer right, over the right. course of the process. And then it's just a, a matter of gauging when do you tell them and how do you say it. And, right, right. Um, do, you know, do you, um, do you give it to them all at once, or do you start with right, some, with right. one thing and, and move along? And, and I don't think you can really know that until you're in the middle of it. You can't really. And and uh, my in my experience on you know new musicals, 
every first meeting and 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 a kind of collaboration at that diner on Ninth Avenue, whatever, is always perfect. You know, are you open to cutting? Yes, yes exactly. We love to <laughs> cut, and are, you know, are you okay with exploring something different? Absolutely. And then, of course, you sometimes get into a room and. And all of a sudden, you know, you bring out your red pen, and and they feel like you brought the, you know, a, a cross out or something, or, you know. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I've had great experiences with with writers that have been like just simpatico. It's been, uh, we're answering each other's questions, we debate, we challenge, we agree to disagree, uh, and that's all part of, you know, any kind of collaboration. And then there are others that you might have that first meeting at that diner on Ninth Avenue. You think this is going to be the most amazing experience and then you know three weeks four weeks down the line it, it it isn't and that and whether that's just chemistry or whether it's just a, a kind of whether it's a meeting of a mind uh, or minds that aren't necessarily kind of connecting or it's insecurity on someone's part I mean there are a myriad of reasons why a collaboration cannot be as successful as another one but I, I've always found that the first meetings are always terrific and and that I, I've never experience one that I thought hmm, maybe I shouldn't sign up on this journey because he or she are n not interested in re-expanding their piece or re-exploring it and and then by the time you're in it it's kind of not necessarily too late but you then have to work with what you have and 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 find the best way to kind of get the best out of them or have them get the best out of me or whatever it is so uh, you know, I wish all of the first meetings were, you know, a, a kind of a, a sign to what was going to come. But in my experience, it, it hasn't been. I feel, I feel like the, for me, if it's a world premiere, that my first priority is showing the writer what they really want to see. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, like that it's <coughs> too, it's too precious, you know, that's really their baby. And it's like putting it out, you know, letting it take its first step. So that's... So it's the absolute core relationship to me, yeah. especially if it's the very first time. You know, often if it's the second or third, I feel like, you know, they just feel safer trying something, you know, giving it a different point of view than they may have innately thought it needed. But so, so it's an incredibly intimate relationship, and I guess I, I want to make them feel so valued and their mm -hmm. voice so heard that it's... Uh, they feel the sort of the center of the process. Right, yeah, I completely agree with that. And I think what happens when I'm learning more and more working on new plays is that the balance for um, people like us who are working on wor world premieres is to listen to the playwright, um, to, tr to put up there what he or she um, needs to see, but not lose yourself in the process. Mm -hmm. um, because what, ha what I've realized um, through the years um, is that if I am completely a slave to the writer, I actually don't um, understand what, it's not actually, it, there's, a, there's a step skipped, meaning mm -hmm. if I'm listening to a writer and this is the way something needs to be and I put that on stage, I will not recognize what it is I put on stage. It actually has to go through me and there's, and I, I assume that a writer um, comes to me very specifically uh, as they would go mm -hmm. to Rebecca or, or you know any of you guys they know what you know who you are and what the, you know so they're ex so so I expect that they are coming to me for a certain kind of thing that I have mm -hmm. which I which I can't articulate 
but if if that if that if the play doesn't filter itself entirely through me, um, I will not. It will not be a good production. Um, and I'm learning that more mm -hmm. and more. And I and I try to talk to and and my latest thing is sort of trying to explain to writers, um, you know, uh, w what that process is. It's as though if I were behind the writer while he or she were mm -hmm. first typing up the thing. Right. And I'm like, ooh, not that word. No, no, no not that <laughs> word. Right. You know, that phrase is, because I actually have a, pro I have a process too that I need to fill, yes. mm -hmm. that I need a, a, a process of images and senses mm -hmm. and a full production, not on the page, but you know, that I need to, I need to write. Mm -hmm. I'm the writer of the production. Um, and that's not to say that, you know, that it's like, n you know, no. You know, I think I do a pre. I, I think I do a pretty good job most of the time of putting up on stage what you know what a writer initially wants, and then and then some, right? Um, we all do that. I mean, that's our job to do that. Um, but if I get if I'm having a thought process and a writer comes in and says, oh, you know what, and I, that that thought uh -huh. process is interrupted, right. then that thought is lost, yes. and mm -hmm. it doesn't it doesn't actually find itself up on stage, and then I don't. I look at it and I don't recognize my own work. And that's something that's becoming mm -hmm. clearer and clearer to me as I work on new plays. I was in doing so Orlando that I just did with Sarah Rule. That she, I was so impressed by her awareness of that, of the importance of that process on the first run through, that stumble through that we had in the room. Um, she sat next to me and, I, and she had no pad. And I said, do you need a pad? <laughs> She's so smart. It's I so know, lovely. and she said, "Oh no, I'm not going to take notes." So lovely. And I went, "Oh, <laughs> you know." And it was because she really understood. She said, "I know what this is. You know, I know what this step in the process is, and and I'll have like the big questions." And it was so, it was so calming. I think even mm -hmm. to the actors in the room and to me to know she understood that we were going to be sloppy for a little while and kind of f have to fumble our way through darkness. You know. And um, it was, she really welcomed that. It's a, it's a tricky thing. It's like a level of confidence, I guess, as a writer that's also yeah. hard to get to. She's had enough productions of her plays that she mm -hmm. has seen this step and knows how messy it can be and then how magical it can become, yes. you know. Well, I love the fact that, you know, we've used this word process quite a bit, you know, already. And, and trusting that process is something that, wherever you are in your career or what you've written or what you've directed is very different. You could, you could be 56 years old and have 85 shows that have premiered and still not trust that process just because of your own innate you know, insecurity about process. And, and I think when writers especially allow, I, I always, it's the same thing if I, if I said to a writer, in your first draft of your, yeah. of your, you don't show us the first draft. You show us draft ninety-five, and sometimes a first draft on on in a rehearsal space is a first draft of a director's idea of an actor's, you know, kind of attack on the scene. So rather than kind of having a, a conniption about why is this doing this or why is her back to the audience when this is a very important line, maybe it's just about a process for me or a process for an actor and and. And I think when an author imposes or interrupts process, that's when it can get a little scary because we all have to. I know actors sometimes, you know, the, the first time they'll put on their costume 
and they'll put something on and immediately there's a you know oh my gosh and this 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 and you know I'll always say you know the costume designer needs her or his process to kind of actually put it on you and and see how it works and maybe it needs a, a different hem or maybe it needs a different this or that but everyone including actors need process that's that's what allows a piece to kind of kind of unfold and blossom and mm -hmm. And I love that word, and I think it's hard for some of these people to embrace process. Well, but it's a word which can mean mm -hmm. so many things. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, <coughs> everyone's process is different. Different, yes. In, in a given production. Yes. Your process is not the author's process, is not the actor's process, is not the designer's process. Um, do you have particular processes, or does it, in fact, change with every show? Do you just find your way through them? I think I have patterns. Mm -hmm. Yes. I, I think that. <laughs> Recognizable uh, ones. Yeah. Uh, yeah that I, I'm only beginning to gain some awareness <laughs> yeah, of. Right. Um, uh, you know, uh, you know, over uh, on even the smallest show, you you interface with fifty or sixty people. Uh, so you're talking to a lot of different people who are looking at the sh the, the show and the play um, from their own specific point of view and what you say to them could have more or less value than the exact same thing to somebody else in another point uh, in, in, you know, in, in the hierarchy. Um, so in that way, I, I'm very flexible and I, I change how I speak to people uh, show to show and week to week. Um, but I also feel like you know, there's, there's an intuitive and an instinctual um, part of who I am, just as you were saying before, that I feel like is what people are looking for from me and why I was chosen over everybody else that could have done the job. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, as you do more and more shows, you begin to recognize where you've made mistakes in the past. And, uh, and I think that changes your process a lot when you realize that you know, this is where I always screw it up. <laughs> what if I did, what if I did yeah, something right. different here? Right. Um, <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's, it's like the opposite episode of Seinfeld. Right, I usually exactly. go here, so exactly. I'm gonna do the opposite. Right, right, right. I have a totally signature process. I mean, it's so obvious and transparent to me now. Somebody said to me recently, you've logged 10,000 hours. Like 10 years is a probably, a, you've worked about 10,000 hours on this crazy directing thing. You know, so by now you kind of have a sense of so I feel like it's totally recognizable and I'm managing it slowly better and better. But it's, it's I, every time, just about, like detonate every possible idea on the first pass. And it kind of goes through everything, like even the design, we go too far, you know, so mm. that first pass, it's like, rah! It's like, you know, it's way wildly over the top. And then, and then, it's an editing process of pulling back, mm -hmm. and, and I find I'm more and more pulling back more and pulling back more and pulling back more. But if I don't kind of release everything, and now I find myself explaining that to actors. Okay, so here's mm. what this is gonna feel like, this run through today. Just so you're all, we're all prepared for it together, and then just know how wonderful it's, and liberating it's gonna feel to kind of get it really focused and clear for you. Mm. Um, but if I stop the impulses on that first pass. And it's in tech too, I go too far in tech, and then I have to mm -hmm. yank it back mm -hmm. in. I never, mm -hmm. I never, there are some things that remain unexplored in a dangerous way. Mm -hmm. So it's totally transparent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> did, you, did someone tell you that, or do you, you notice that about yourself? Because I feel like that's something that someone 
would say, you know, say, you know what you do, Rebecca? Like a, a designer or something. Right. I you, did you're once, so, yeah. no, it's, a, it's an interesting question. I, the run-throughs were always very clear to me, became right. pretty clear to me after a couple times because especially with the new writer, you know, I begin to recognize their panic attack and right. what yeah, it was yeah. about and realize, okay, and you know, my part of my job is to manage that f mm. with them, for them to understand where I am in my process. But with tech, I was working at the Shakespeare Theater with Michael Kahn and he, and you know, they give a really generous week of tech and then a week of previews. And I was always, I mean, for many years in this directing thing, taking as the whole tech, no matter what it was, to get to that first pass. And it would be a disaster, you know. And poor Michael Kahn and the whole tech crew is like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, it's like wildly over the top. And then in two days, I could fix everything. And he sat me down and he said, you know, if you just could get to that first oh, way over the right. top pass, the third day of tech, <laughs> right. you know, you would not put the entire institution through hell as you try to clean That's it up. <laughs> so he pointed it out to me yeah. in a useful way about the tech process. And I've completely changed my rhythm in tech now because of that conversation. Yeah. It's hard to go against the intuition. Well, what's interesting about what we're talking about is like our process. Our process is actually not something that necessarily, we're talking about logistics and we're talking about recognizing. And I actually feel like there's like a, there's like a, not a platonic, but a sort of an uber structure of the how theater works, the process of, mm -hmm. you know, from the first day of rehearsal, right. to the, you know, because you always, everyone always knows that the third week of rehearsal, everyone hates each other. I mean, it's, it's unavoidable. There's something, there's like these theater truths that we all, I mm -hmm. think, sort of kind of mold our, you know, sort of, it's how we gear up for those theater, for those theater truths in a way. Um, you know, I was working at the Wilma and they actually put, um, they put the, you know, we actually, you, you rehearse two weeks on the set before tech, oh. which is amazing, which wow. is amazing. Oh Eastern Europeans, it's I'm telling you, it's amazing. Yeah. And well, I thought, oh my God, we're going to skip that third week of, you know, rehearsal where everyone hates each other <laughs> because right. we're just going to, you know, sideswipe it and we're going to avoid it. Oh my God. We totally hit it. You know what I mean? Like it's, there are these sort of, I think that these kind of, you know, rhythms that the, that theater takes that you, that it's, I mean, for me, process is all about how do you dress for the <laughs> this section of you know this section of what we know is is coming right you know what i mean mm -hmm. let me ask you about a very specific part of process which is is a bit off the direction we've been going but i want to ask you about auditions um mm. there's been a lot of language here about first rehearsal about meeting authors and it's it almost becomes the language of dating so therefore auditions is speed dating mm -hmm. um <laughs> to use a terrible metaphor but when actors come in, do you expect them to come in and read the part that you're looking for and nail it? Do you need them to actually show you at that moment that they can do that part? Or are you looking for something, you're looking for a quality rather than the specificity? You know, I, I realize that the first part of auditions for me is learning about the play. Mm -hmm. That's how mm -hmm. I actually learn what I'm looking for. Hmm. Mm -hmm. So I usually don't know exactly what it is and that's why I think it takes a long time to cast. It's because you learn, I mean for me, I learn about who the, who mm -hmm. the characters are mm -hmm. through that process. It's almost a part of the rehearsal process or a sort of a, you know, a familiarity with the, with the text. So I, I agree. I think inevitably, you know, what I love is when an actor comes in prepared uh, 
and it could be the it, it could be something completely out of left field a choice that he or she has made or an approach to a character that is different than perhaps what maybe is in my mind or even in the author's mind so I I actually kind of just it I, I, I actually just let go during that process and just just I, I very rarely read resumes uh, because I, it's not important to me whether he or she has been in this show or graduated from this school. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I look at the picture and then just sit and kind of allow whatever gifts and or treasures this person is bringing to kind of, you know, come to the to the to the table. And you know, many times I've I've perhaps had an idea in my head about a certain type, physical type, or energy that a, a, a character might be. Uh, on that page, and then someone will come in who will be the complete opposite. And, and and what's always brilliant is when you know the director and the authors are sitting there going, "This is the person we never expected it." And actually, sometimes what happens is the authors will say, "We want to rewrite or we want to relook at mm -hmm. this because this actor is bringing in uh, a quality that is completely something we've never thought about." So I, I, I mean, obviously, I always say to actors, "We always want to hire you." Mm -hmm. we, we, we really want to cast. We don't, I don't, I, at least I don't enjoy, mm -hmm. you know, weeks and weeks and weeks of, of auditions. We want everyone to come into that room and land that mm -hmm. job, whatever that position might be. And I, it's interesting, I, I make very few notes actually on, on the kind of the first pass. I, I really just put a little star or a little happy face or mm -hmm. something that just allows me to kind of sense who they are and then when we call them back or something we'll get more in depth but I, 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 it, I just I need to just for me feel them and and just feel what they're what they're bringing to to us I'm very very conscious in auditions of trying to make each interaction have something really of value passed between us something you know like a real one of us learns something somehow we connect and, and I'm looking usually for, is there, you know, f not somebody that comes in and immediately gets how I'm thinking of this part, but who can be responsive to direction and grow mm -hmm. in a really exciting way in the course of, you know, the little tiny 10 minutes that you usually get. And casting directors are usually going like, oh, keep going, keep yeah, going. Because yeah. <laughs> I want to try to have something like organic and authentic happen and what can be, I think, I, imagine a pretty painful, tricky process for just a human soul to negotiate every day, walking into rooms like that, so. Uh, you know, I, I think that there's, there's two opportunities. One, like you said, Annie, you get to learn about the play. Yeah. And I, I absolutely learn about the play. And the other is you get to do what I love best, which is watch actors act. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I feel like it's 80 bucks to see a show. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you get to see over the course of three days or three weeks, 20 or 100 right. amazing right. actors right. Um, yeah. who could be right for any project. Um, and and uh, you know, so I, I don't take many notes, but I keep all of my paperwork and, yeah. Yeah, and go through it over yeah. and over yeah, and over again. For, to keep the headshot. Me too, yeah. me too. Yeah. Um, but I also love working with casting directors because I feel like early in the process before you get to rehearsal you spend so much time reflecting back to other people mm -hmm. about their work you see the you talk to the playwright and you reflect back what you think that they're trying to say versus what it is you're seeing yeah. and the same thing to the designers about what they're showing to you uh, and really in the early point of the process the casting director is the only person who's doing that for you and you say this is what I think this role is 
and they show you four of those, but they also show you eight things that mm -hmm. come out of what you say, but have nothing to do with what you say. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's sort of an amazing experience um, to, to have somebody come into the room and be unlike anything you've ever imagined about that character, and so clearly right. the, the choice you've wanted to make all right. along. Right. Um, and I, you know, I, I just think that that relationship with a casting director is a, is a really exciting. I want to hit you all with this question. You've all worked in institutional settings, um, not-for-profit theaters. Um, do you have a desire to become an artistic director, a producing director, or do you see yourselves just being satisfied and fulfilled just as a director? I, I know when I was young that uh, my goal was to become an artistic director because I could not fathom the idea of not having steady work. Even though I still ask myself, I, I can't believe that I'm still in a position of like trying to get, you know, ev every November comes along and I'm petrified of what's going to happen next year because if there's nothing lined up, right. how, really, how am I going to pay the rent or how am I going to feed mm -hmm. myself? And so I ask myself, you know, at 41 years old, I can't believe I'm still doing this. And, and, but then there's the opposite answer, which is obviously I love it, or obviously it's, it's now ingrained in me. But I, I think if someone said, Would, here is an opportunity to you know, be the artistic director of X, Y, or Z, I would probably say no, even though uh, it, it might be very flattering and might be very you know, exciting on many levels. I, I, I guess, weirdly, I still love this kind of freelance mm -hmm. kind of world that we're in. You know, there is something about the rhythm of the freelance life that I love and despise. <laughs> um, I mean, I love, I love the downtime, you know, and being able to really fully focus on pre-production for something or many things, a couple things. Um, but I also really do long for a kind of artistic home and a community and the ability to create uh, a kind of ongoing Relate, you know, building of relationships. I'm finding more and more that I'm working with like a family of designers that I work with over and over mm -hmm. again. So it is very appealing to me. Not probably right now. Um, that I don't think I could get at one of those jobs right now. But um, but it's something I think about. I think a lot about. Like you said, I love and hate everything about <laughs> being a freelance director. Right. Um, <laughs> but mainly love it. Uh, but the, the thing that I, that I find myself missing more and more is an ongoing relationship with an audience. Mm -hmm. mm. Um, and uh, find that mm -hmm. the more I, I freelance, the more I shut the audience out in some way mm -hmm. and, and focus on, on my own mm -hmm. response. And I think that if I had a home and an institution, mm -hmm. I, I, I could open myself up more, mm -hmm. perhaps, to, to an audience and, and a long-term relationship That's with That's really interesting. At this point, I mean, I've actually gone up for a couple of artistic directorships um, in the last few uh, years, and it's hard. I mean, what they do is, uh, you know, when I was associate at, when I was assistant, assisting at CSC, I watched David as the Orenson be an artistic director, and it's not easy. And so at this point, at this moment in my life, with this economy, et cetera, et cetera, I'm perfectly happy to continue to freelance because I feel like the responsibility, I'm just not, I feel antsy and I don't, that was this responsibility of sort of, you know, shepherding an institution mm -hmm. at, at this point feels like too big of mm -hmm. a, too much of a commitment and too big of a, of a challenge. Well, actually. thank you all for 
honest answers and thank you for talking so much about your process today. We may not have defined it, but we have a better shape of what the director's process is. So thank you for that and thanks for joining us today on thank Working you. in the Theater. These programs are brought to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York in partnership with our friends at CUNY TV. On behalf of the American Theatre Wing, I'm Howard Sherman, and thanks for joining us for another edition of Working in the Theatre. I'm Ted Chapin, Chairman of the American Theatre Wing. The Wing has played a vital role in New York's theatrical life for more than 60 years. Best known for creating the Tony Awards, we stand for excellence, but we also support education in the theatre, and our work reaches beyond Broadway in New York. The Working in the Theatre television programs, which are supported by the Annenberg Foundation and the Dorothy Strelson Foundation, are unequaled forums for discussions with today's most creative artists. Downstage Center's in-depth radio interviews were created in conjunction with XM Satellite Radio and can be heard on our website. For people who are starting their careers, we have a two-week boot camp for aspiring actors from colleges across the country called Springboard NYC. And our theater intern group provides a forum for young people who are starting their careers to build a professional network. All of the American Theater Wing's educational and media programs are available for free on demand from our website, americantheaterwing.org. Thanks for your interest in the Wing, and thanks for watching.